0: As Maddie said, my name's Owen. If we haven't met before, uh, and there are a couple of new faces today, it's great to have you with us. Uh, I just want to add my welcome to that of Madeline's earlier. Uh, I hope that you enjoy your time with us this afternoon. We are in the second week of a series, Working Through the Lord's Prayer. We're taking five weeks uh, to work through this together, uh, and really our hope and our desire for this series is not just that we get to the end of it feeling like we we know a bit more about what the lord's prayer means but that we get to the end of it saying like that has done something for my prayer life there has been a change in the way i pray there's been a change in the way i come before god and how i relate to him as a result of going through this series together so i'm not i don't just want to fill our heads with some knowledge about what this means but i want it to To change our hearts and our habits as we go forward. So, James began last week for us by by opening up the first couple of lines of Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it's been so good, as Madeline referred to earlier again, to gather with people during this week Tuesday morning and then Wednesday evening with life groups. And I know some people have gathered at other points too. And to begin to, to pray into that. And I, I hope that more and more for each of us as we come to pray, we, we remember as we come to pray who we come to. And what James shared with us last week stirs our hearts and lifts our eyes. To think, wow, this is who we come to. That we come to our Father in heaven. And we're like, wow, this is insane. We come to our Father That God, the almighty creator of all things, chooses to relate to us as his children, chooses to invite us into a relationship where we might call him father. And I just want to really quickly go over those first couple of lines again and build out on what James shared with us last week. And then we're going to get into the next section, which is where we'll spend most of our time today on your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we're just going to have a quick recap of last week. So we get to come to God as as our Father. And I, I don't want us to miss that almost kind of innocuous way that it's been phrased of our Father, that there's a corporate aspect when we pray that we remember He's not just my Father or your father, but that he's our father. That in that one line, as we open up the Lord's Prayer, it's a great reminder for us that we're united with him and in him with one another. If you trust in Jesus, if your faith is in him, then you're adopted into the family of God. Guys, if you're a Christian here today, then we're brothers And sisters, co heirs with Christ Jesus. And we have the privilege of not just praying my Father in a kind of isolationist, just me and God way, but we get to pray together our Father and recognize that we're united with Him and with one another. It's not just a me and God thing. And remembering that also helps us not to pray selfish or self centered prayers. Because remember, it's not just about me, but it's about him who we come to and us with him. And he's our father in heaven. How amazing that when we remember, we pray to our father, God, who has a throne in heaven, who's holy and has authority to answer our prayers. We're not coming to a powerless father, Like if there was ever a kind of my dad's bigger than your dad. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) We have a mighty father. And as James reminded us last week, we pray, hallowed be your name. That means holy or set apart. You know, when we pray, we need to remind ourselves that we're not coming to our equal in God. We're not coming to our mate. We're not coming to him like on a level with him like yes there's intimacy we get to call him father abba daddy there's intimacy but it's it's not between equals we come to the one whose name is holy he isn't like us (laughs) and that's actually a very good thing because if he was he wouldn't be worth praying to as James reminded us last week, when we hallow God's name, it doesn't mean that we somehow make him holy, but we recognise that he is, and we worship him for that fact, that he alone is holy. When we pray, we come to our Father, who is the almighty creator, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who is without rival, without equal, without Comparison. To hallow God's name means more than just recognising that he's all those things. There. It means to, to love him, to honour him, to value him, to treasure him above all else, to set him apart in our hearts as the as the first, as the object of our affections and our desire and our longing. To hallow his name. And so we're reminded as we open this series and as we open this prayer together who we come to and we adore him for all that he is but then what does Jesus teach us to pray next the next thing we move on to he he says this he says that we are to pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and this is where we're going to Dig in today. This is where we're going to put our roots down for a bit. Now, the first thing we've got to notice is that Jesus has begun this prayer by lifting our eyes to God, hasn't he? He says, when you pray, get your eyes up. (laughs) Look at him and pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he continues with our gaze fixed on God. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven he he wants us to remain focused on God and his priorities not us and our priorities this is not about me and mine it's about him and his when we come in prayer your kingdom your will not mine his but what does it mean though that God's kingdom come we get so used to that phrase don't we and you hear it kind of thrown around and there's a, there's a prayer thing that happens annually now called Thy Kingdom Come. And lots and lots of churches take part in it. But I think, do we know what we're praying when we say your kingdom come? And what does it mean for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, that's where we're going to dig in today. So first, I think we need to consider what is God's kingdom. What does Jesus expect us to be praying when we pray that our holy heavenly Father's kingdom comes on earth? See, we often think of his kingdom as a place, don't we? Maybe you think in kind of children's stories about the kingdom of far, far away, or maybe it's the United Kingdom. We think of these geographic locations. You could think of a kingdom as a place or a realm, but I think the focus of Scripture is actually more on the reign of the king. The kingdom is where God reigns. And it's not about geography so much as it is about those who are under submission or who respond to the reign of the king. Now there's a sense in which God reigns already over all things. Isn't there? You know, we, we read that in Scripture. We, we read in, in passages like 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, which actually Jesus, uh, in, we, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, often we kind of borrow from this as well. You read 1 Chronicles 29, 11, says this, "'Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendour for everything in heaven, and earth is yours.'" Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Remember that bit? We often pray, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. It's borrowing from this passage. It says already, God reigns over all things. So what are we praying when we say, then, your kingdom come, if his reign is already over all? Well, I think when Jesus asks us to pray this, It's not so much about God's sovereignty over all things in all ways, but it's more about people recognising and receiving his lordship. It's about people willingly responding to him and coming under his rule and reign. People responding in willing submission to his rule and his will being done here as it is in heaven how is his will done in heaven? His will is done perfectly in heaven by the angels who follow his commands perfectly. They do the will of his command. When he commands the angels to do something, they do it joyfully and with perfection. This is what we're praying for, that people on earth, humanity, would follow God's commands perfectly. That people would live in the way he created them to. In perfect relationship with him and one another. Knowing his love and loving him and loving one another in response. This is what it means for his kingdom to come. For his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. If everybody lived in willing submission to the rule of Christ my word, how things would change, wouldn't they? We'd have a very different outlook around us. If everyone lived in, in willing submission to, to God's will, how different things would be. Because his will and his ways are perfect. His kingdom Coming inevitably means his will being done. It's like two sides of the same coin. When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying your will be done. And when we pray your will be done, we're praying your kingdom come. Because when people live under the reign of and submit to the rule of God, then his will is done. As they live in joyful obedience to him. they like... Two ways of expressing the same thing. Are you with me so far? The kingdom coming is where God's reign is, where God's rule is, where people live in submission to him, where his will is executed. But what is his will? And how do we know? So if we're going to pray for it, what are we supposed to be praying for? Because I think we can often presume, and maybe it's just me, but I I don't think so. I think we can often presume that his will lines up brilliantly with ours. (laughs) That what we think is right or wrong must be what God thinks is right or wrong. (laughs) And when we do this, We seek to make God in our image. And that's a big mistake. See, the heart of a Christian is is marked by a desire to become more like him. Instead of seeking to make him more like us. So we can't tell what his will is by simply looking within and going, whatever I desire, that must be what the will of God is. And we can't tell what his will is by listening to the media. And we can't tell what his will is by reading philosophers or by following politicians. See, We're all bombarded day in, day out with messages about what's right and wrong. But these things don't necessarily accord, and very often they don't, with God's view of morality or justice with his will. It's so important that we understand this and that we learn to tell the difference that what we're fed day in, day out is very often not what God would call good and right. The Bible warns us, it's clear that there would come days and I believe we're in them now where people will call what is evil good and what's good, evil. Where morality becomes upside down from the way God decreed it to be, where people will look on things that God would say that is evil, that is wrong, and people will praise it as good. We need to understand what His will is, not what the moral majority say it is. We read this in Romans 12. As Christians, we are not to conform to the pattern of this world, but instead to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is—His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Guys, we're not to be squashed into the world's mould, or to to believe that what we read and see and hear around us is Right or wrong, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might discern what God's will is. What does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? How are our minds made new? Our minds are renewed by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. As we come to faith, as we become Christians we say, Lord, would you fill me with your Spirit? Would you make me more like you? Would you teach me to, to love what you love and to, to hate what you hate? Would you teach me to, to follow you? The Holy Spirit renews our minds. But the Holy Spirit also, we're told, leads us into all truth. We don't just kind of somehow amazingly, supernaturally be able to discern the will of God in all situations. (laughs) Because I I think there are probably times when you and I long after things that actually we shouldn't be. Or we think we know what's best. And then something else happens. And later we're able to look back and go, wow, God, in your wisdom, (laughs) my ways are not your ways. But the Spirit part of his work in renewing our minds. He leads us into all truth. He helps us to understand scripture, which is given. You know, God's will is revealed in God's word. If you want to know what's on God's heart, open your Bible. If you want to know what God says about humanity and morality and ethics, open your Bible. If you want to understand what the will of God is for the world and for your life, open his word. He's given it to us as a precious gift that we might understand his will, his good, pleasing and perfect will. As if we're going to pray intelligently, your will be done, into situations, then we need to be people who lean into God's word, who regularly and consistently are reading and submitting to scripture. We need to recognise that his ways aren't our ways. We need to lean into scripture and line ourselves up more and more with his word. I think sometimes we, we have a posture when we read the Bible that we, we, we want to stand in judgement over it. When we read things that we don't agree with, we try and find ways of squeezing them to line up with our view of how things should be. But guys, that's not how we're to treat God's word. We're to sit in submission to it, to allow it to mould us and shape us and to to cause us to line up with God's will and God's ways. To line ourselves up with what he says rather than what we think is best or the world tells us is right. Sometimes we, we won't know what's right in a situation. You know that? Like even if you really knew the Word of God so well, there'll be times where you come to a situation and you just think, gosh, I don't, I don't know, Lord, what's right or what's best in this situation. We can still pray. <laughs> and we can still pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in this situation. Lord, I don't know what that is, but I trust you. And so God, would your will be done? Would you help me to walk faithfully through this? Would you help me to walk in obedience to you? Would you help me to to diligently, as best I can, live in accordance with what you've revealed in your word? But Lord, I don't know what's best in this situation. Would your will be done? We can pray that have the humility to acknowledge we don't know what's best, but we can pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Now if the kingdom is about people coming under the rule and reign of God, then to pray your kingdom come is a cry that, that everyone and everything would live in willing surrender to God. It's, It's a plea that everyone and everything would live according to his good design. It's a plea that everyone would acknowledge him as Lord. This cry, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth, is a holistic cry. It's about the whole of life. It's about everything. It's a holistic longing. Biblically thinking this would be a return to Eden. If if the kingdom were to come on earth as it is in heaven, it would be a return to Eden, a return to paradise. See, until mankind rebelled against God, everything was perfect. God's will was done perfectly on the earth. Amazing. No pain, no suffering. The earth perfectly fruitful. But everything was impacted by the fall of man. As people didn't want to live in submission to God, they wanted to be God. In every moment of pain and sickness, when we look at it and we think this isn't right, in every act of oppression or injustice, in the face of Every situation of abuse, of every news story of violence or deceit or destruction. Guys, we are to cry out, Your kingdom come, Lord. This isn't how it should be. Your will be done. When we see things like that around us, it should cause us to cry out, Lord, Your kingdom come. It should break our hearts and cause us to cry out, Lord, Your will be done. This isn't how it's supposed to be, as the effects of the fall echo around the world. But it's also a hopeful cry, because it's one that we know will be fulfilled ultimately when Christ returns. What began to unravel at the fall as mankind rebelled against God, as The stewards of the earth rebelled against our Heavenly Father, will one day be restored completely. When Christ returns and makes all things new, the fall and its effects will be reversed. Everyone and everything will submit to the perfect rule and reign of Jesus. But until He returns, until that day, we long and we cry out and we work for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. When we become Christians, we join in this cry of, Lord, your kingdom come. But we also put our shoulders to the plow and we say, Lord, would you use us? We want to do all we can to live out your kingdom. On earth, to, to live in obedience to you and to call others to do the same. To love as we've been loved. To say, Lord, your will be done. See, that is, that's an unfathomably broad cry to cry. It, is, it encompasses everything, every aspect of life, every moment, every relationship, every interaction. Christians, this should permeate every aspect of our lives. How we relate to one another, how we steward creation, how we work, what we do with our finances. Everything is affected by this cry of, Lord, your will be done. It's incredibly broad, but I believe it has to start with a personal response. The primary expression of the kingdom, the kingdom come, is through lives surrendered to Jesus as Lord. So people finding freedom and forgiveness and fullness of life in him of knowing that they're forgiven, knowing that they've been brought into relationship with God through the finished work of Jesus, of seeking to live their lives in submission to him. People who daily surrender again and say, Lord, in light of all that you've done, in response to who you are, I give my everything. I give my everything for your glory and the good of those around me is that where your heart is today? To remember what the kingdom is. It's where God rules and reigns. And in remembering it, our first port of call in crying out, your kingdom come on earth, simply has to be to cry out, Lord, your kingdom come in my life. Your kingdom come in my heart more fully. Your kingdom come in my heart as it is in heaven. Our temptation can be to look out there, can't it? At all the ways in which we see that the kingdom is yet to come. Our temptation can be to look out there and consider all the ways in which God's will is not being followed in which his name is not being glorified in the way people live or we look at the brokenness in the world and we can focus on those things. It's more comfortable to look out there to begin with. But before we get there, I believe we must first consider where does God's kingdom need to come in my life? To examine our own hearts and words, our own actions and attitudes and and ask honestly, do these line up with God's word? Has God's kingdom come? Is it evident that God's kingdom has come in my life? Is God's will being done in my life? Is it evident? Is it noticeable to ask honestly, where am I trying to be Lord instead of, Surrendering to Jesus as Lord. Where am I seeking glory for myself instead of giving him the glory? See, when we live as citizens of the kingdom of God, we need to grow in surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as we do so, that has an impact, doesn't it? I'm sure if you're a Christian, you would say it has had an impact in your life. And the great thing is, is that it's going to go on having an impact in your life as you continue to walk with him and as you continue to say, Lord, would your will be done? Would your kingdom come in my life? Lord, where are the areas where I'm yet to surrender to you? This will impact our care of and love for others. Notice it results in radical generosity. We get a glimpse. It's one of my favourite passages of Scripture of what it looks like when people say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. We get a, an amazing snapshot of what that looks like when a group of people say that in Acts chapter 2. We read from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. and There's this picture of the, the early church, the first Christians After Jesus had ascended to heaven and commissioned them to share the gospel, to go and make disciples. And we read this about them. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to scripture, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And We long for that. We give ourselves over to God and say, Lord, your kingdom come, that we'd see signs and wonders, that we'd see the miraculous, that we'd see people healed, lives transformed by the power of God. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We sometimes read this and we think like it's some kind of weird, like early form of communism. This is not enforced. This wasn't like a, a set of, like, you become a Christian, you've got to sell all your stuff and pull it together so that everyone has an equal amount. No, this was a, a radical generosity, spontaneous, as people went out of what God has done for me. I, I see need here and I want to respond in generosity to meet that need. And so they sold what they had in order to meet the needs of others, not out of compulsion, because they told they I had to but because they were moved by the work of God in their hearts, because they were moved out of the abundance of what he had done for them. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, <laughs> praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? Of people who have said, Lord, your will be done in my life. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's genuine and sincere care for those around them. Incredible generosity, devotion. Devotion to God and to one another. to engineer this kind of community always fail <laughs> you try and impose this on a group of people with rules and external regulations it won't work it goes gets really sinister really quickly political systems can't accomplish this but people living as citizens of the kingdom people who know they've received freely from the hand of god become people who give generously to others. As the kingdom comes more and more in their hearts, they become those who love others as they've been loved by him, who work and give for the good of others and the glory of God. Oh, Lord, your kingdom come in my life as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my heart as it is in heaven. praying your kingdom come is a holistic prayer that necessitates a personal response we can't just keep it out there if we're going to pray God your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven then there has to be a personal response to that we have to ask Lord what's my response where am I not surrendering to you But it also inevitably leads to a missional overflow. And what I mean by that is that as we come to faith ourselves, and as we surrender to him, and as we say, Lord, your will be done in my life, we understand that his heart and his will is for the nations. His heart and his longing is for people from every tribe and every tongue who would declare his praises, that his heart and his longing is, is a people so numerous that no one could count them. His heart is that none should perish. And as we understand his will and as we say to him in our own lives, Lord, would your kingdom come, we catch more of his heart. And it's inevitable that we grow a burden for the lost. It's inevitable that we grow a burden for those who don't yet know him. It's inevitable that we begin to pray for and seek opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with those around us as we recognise that, that we have a life that they don't yet have, that we have a hope that they can't yet profess, that we have a, a, an eternal security that isn't theirs. begin to pray that his kingdom would come in the lives of others if we don't pray for our friends neighbours colleagues and family to be saved then I think we've utterly missed the heart of God for humanity and we need to pray again Lord your kingdom come in my heart your will be done in my life like, honestly, if we, if we remain indifferent to the eternal condition of our friends and neighbours and family, then I, I think we fail to see the heart of God for people. And we failed, actually, I think, to even understand the enormity of what he's done for us. Because I think the natural overflow of a heart that knows The grace of God, the natural overflow of a a life that knows I've been saved. I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. I've been rescued from my own foolishness and sin. I've been made clean. I've been given a hope that I don't deserve because of Jesus. The natural overflow of that is to say, I long that others would know this too. And so if we don't feel that, if we don't think that, then I want to encourage you to to come back and, and wonder again at our Father who's in heaven, who welcomes us to come because of the finished work of Jesus, who invites us as children, chosen and dearly loved because of what Jesus has done. We need to come and consider again all that he's done for you, that you're standing before him, not based on your works, on the free gift of Jesus and to cause it to let us pray again. God, your kingdom come in my life as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come in my neighbors, in this community here, in Wokingham, in our workplaces. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord. I'm, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite Maddie to come and lead us in a, in a corporate response.